Hello, and welcome to the family at World Harvest Outreach. Okay, uh, I'm going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. For those of you that want to go there, uh, Nick, it's verse 37, as I think my first verse. Oh, look at you. Man, I've been doing this for a really long time, and I still struggle with how to start messages and how to end them. I'm really good in the middle. So if you can live through the shaky beginning and fizzle out ending, just pay attention to the stuff in the middle. You'll be really happy. Um, Last week's message from Ben was really good. I hope you guys heard that. If you did not, please go listen to that. Uh, It was a great explanation. Specifically, the thing that really impacted my heart was the grace abounding part. How many people remember that? The idea that grace is not a reaction to sin. The idea that grace isn't suddenly starting to increase as your sin increases, but the reality that the, the amount of grace that's available is infinitely and always there, no matter the amount of sin that tries to show up in its face. And I had texted him, because I didn't get to be here on Sunday, but I texted him when I was listening to it this week, and I said, you know, there's a little bit of a, a misnomer in that idea that sin and grace are kind of like equal but opposite, if you think about it. Because the verse is, where sin abounds, Grace abounds all the more. It's the idea that sin and grace are like these two enemies fighting. And that's really not a good way of looking at it any more than like God and the devil are equal opposites. How many people kind of like felt like, well, God's on one side and the devil's on the other side and they're vying for control? Like that is a, that is a really bad comparison. That's like comparing a drop of water to an ocean and saying those two are in comparison or in some kind of vying for power and control. It's not the case. There is so much more grace than there is sin. And there is the, the idea that grace and sin are even in some kind of equitable and opposite relationship is crazy because grace is of superabundant quality and quantity. Like it doesn't even, it can't even be mentioned in the same sentence it shouldn't be as sin. Because grace is not even the same animal. It is the very life of God that exists on the inside of you to make everything available to you and through you. The actual word grace means it's the imprint or it's the very life of God on the inside of you manifesting itself through you. That's grace. It's the empowerment of God to cause everything you were originally created to be to become a reality. That's the grace of God. It's not just wiping your slate clean. I actually think all of that is under the definition of mercy. Mercy is the, is the, is the see, I'm even trying to say it. Mercy is the taking away of sin. It's the forgiving of sin. It's the, oh, it's okay. How many people have had someone tell you, oh, it's okay, when you did something wrong? Anybody ever had that happen to you? How thankful are you for that? Like, I'm really thankful for my wife looking at me and saying, oh, it's okay. In fact, I wouldn't mind her doing it a few more times. (laughs) Anybody else? Anyway, but grace is not it's okay. Grace is the person who comes in and says, I'm going to make sure you never do that again. Grace is the power to make sure that the crooked ways stay straight forever. Mercy is the crooked way, oh, it's okay. And we need that, and that's good. But if you live by mercy, I promise you, you'll never see all the fulfillment and all of the unbelievable potential that's on the inside of you. Living by grace 
is the power to see everything God put on the inside of you become a reality. Amen? And that's why grace is always there. It's not kind of increasing as your sin increases. I think that's actually more mercy. How are we doing? You okay? All right, so Ben, thank you for that message. That was really, really good. Please go listen to that if you didn't hear it. I'm kind of going to live off of that a little bit. I'm going to use his message from last week as a springboard for this week. Hebrews chapter 10, he was in Hebrews last week as well, talking about a covenant that was, it was good for its time, but there was something better coming in Jesus. And I want to talk about living by faith today <clears throat> and how living by faith is actually what, how we manifest what God puts on the inside of us. This grace of God is accessed by faith. This grace, which is the empowerment to be and do everything God created you to do, is accessed by faith. And we're going to talk about that today. So, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. This is actually Old Testament. And like Ben said last week, like, really, the, the guys in the New Testament, their Bible was the law. Their Bible was these prophets of old that wrote things down and they referred back to them. They didn't have what we have today in what we call the Bible. So, so much of the New Testament are quotes from our Old Testament and then explained in the light of Jesus. That's the beauty of the Old Testament. That's why I love our Bible school that we do here every other Wednesday. And this coming Wednesday, when Jay teaches, the beauty of our Bible school is that we, and we go and look for Jesus everywhere. And how the entire Bible is actually a story of how Jesus brings us back to who we originally created to be. So Hebrews 10, verse 37 is actually, anybody know what book it's from? Without looking in your Bibles? Habakkuk chapter, I think it's three. Am I right on that? I'm pretty sure that's right. Habakkuk chapter three, <clears throat> this is a quote from that. And it's actually quoted three other times in Scripture in the New Testament. So this is an important one. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Who do you think Habakkuk's talking about there? And who is Jesus? So who, what'd you say? Messiah. Somebody else, who is Jesus? The word, what'd you say, Sean? The manifest word of God. King of kings, Lord of lords, we just sang about it. So he who is coming is, I want to actually go ahead and just say the Lord himself. God himself, but coming in flesh. As many times as I can say this to my friends and family, I'm going to say this. Jesus is God. He is not God's uh, like, it, it, I know there's times in Scripture where it says, like, his firstborn son and all of that, but if you actually go look in the original language, the idea is not that God had a baby. It's that God came through Mary's womb and manifested God in flesh. Hello? Okay, so that's what Habakkuk's talking about here. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Next verse. But my righteous one shall live by faith. So this is not only talking about Jesus, but I actually want to say I believe it's talking about every single one of us because we are 
these ones who have been born into Jesus. My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Keep going. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. So Habakkuk, as well as the writer of Hebrews, is making a connection between those who shrink back, and let's go back to 38 for a second. Shrinking back and living by faith are opposite. You guys seeing that? So the writer is kind of creating some definitions here. If you live by faith, you don't shrink back. So what does shrinking back look like? Let's just talk about that for a second. What does it look like to shrink back? Doubt. To what? To reduce what I'm going after. Oh, I like that. To make it smaller so it feels easier to attain. Ooh. To bring it closer. How do you bring your target closer? You move toward it. Good. All right, so I had other, some other thoughts there, but we're gonna continue. My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So what does God's soul have pleasure in? Huh? Living by faith, and we actually see that throughout Hebrews. There's a whole lot of that. If you want to please the Lord, if you want to bring pleasure to your Father, you live by faith. All right, now go to 39. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but we are of those who have faith to the preserving of our soul. So living by faith preserves our soul. So shrinking back, what does that do to our soul? Literally depletes it, literally kills it. You actually, your soul begins to die when you shrink back and don't live by faith. That's what the scriptures are telling us. These are really simple thoughts, but it's really important for us to see. If you want to preserve your soul, you have to live by faith. Next one. All right, so now we go into Hebrews 11. This is the next verse. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. Three, by faith, we understand the worlds were prepared by the word of God. Who else uses faith? God uses faith. In fact, I'm gonna go ahead and say that's how God operates. By faith. So if God operates by faith, it's probably a pretty decent idea that we operate by faith. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. We're going to stop there. I want to leave that right up there on the screen, though. Go back to one. All right. So let's just talk about this for a minute. The pattern of all creation is faith. We saw that in verse three where it says that God created by this faith. And I think about things like God making the world and he used nothing that was already known. If you actually remember back to Genesis chapter one, when God is fashioning the heavens and the earth, it says that his spirit was hovering. You guys remember this, right? It was brooding or hovering over the face of the deep. 
And if you actually look into like what those things were, that was a chaotic mess that was going on there. And so God broods over it, and he realizes, I'm going to have to start with something from within me. Because it says here in verse, if you go to verse 3 really quick, Nick, sorry, I'm jumping you all around here, but it's important. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. That's a key to understanding what this thing is called faith. God looked at what, was, what he had to work with, and he says, I'm going to have to speak from myself and create new. And then what came out of him healed what he was brooding over. Do you guys hear that? This is really important. And I believe that the Father of all creation broods over every single one of us consistently desiring to bring light to the mess you created. Every one of you in this room have the hope of a God who wants to speak light to the current mess you've created. Or not even the mess you created, but the mess that someone else created that you find yourself swimming in. Anybody? Anybody still swimming in a mess somebody else created it? It's okay because someone's brooding. Someone's working by faith on your behalf over your life. Man, that's hope for me. I, I just, I love the idea that this son has a father who's consistently brooding over him, thinking about how to make things good. You do too. Oh, I also think about Jesus manifesting. It says that everything that was invisible about God became visible in Jesus. You guys remember that? That's John chapter one. Jesus is the manifestation of the invisible God. Everything that God was in spirit, beyond the natural realm, Jesus shows up and says, I am he. Powerful. So that's the pattern of all creation. The pattern is to take things that are invisible and make them visible. That's faith, and that's a key to faith. If you want to know if you're living by faith or not, think about how God created in the beginning and how Jesus shows up and makes everything invisible visible. Okay, so now we'll go back to verse 1. So there's a couple different ways the Bible emphasizes things. One of the ways the Bible emphasizes things is by repeating so oftentimes, and I think you've seen me do this before, I'll show you verses where it almost like the exact same thought repeats itself more than once, even two or three times it'll repeat itself. Another way the Bible helps to emphasize something is to actually speak the definition right into the text, okay? One of the ways here you see that verse one, now faith is, if you go look at the last couple of verses again of Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about how the righteous one shall live by faith, okay? Now, the writer of Hebrews doesn't want us to be like, well, what is faith? What does that mean? How many people think when they hear the verse, the righteous one shall live by faith, think, well, what does faith mean? Because I want to live by faith if the righteous one lives by faith. And the writer's like, I don't want to leave anything to your imagination, so I'm going to define faith for you. Faith is, okay? In another place, the Bible thinks Something else is really important. Love is, finish the statement, patient. Love is, love is, come on now. We always get the patient and kind, and we start to drill. I, I love when I have the church do that. They get the first two really good. Love is, 
not easily angered, keeps no Oh, I love these kind of definitions about love. So here we are. I'm not talking about love today, even though love's really important. I'm talking about faith today. Right here, the writer of Hebrews doesn't want to leave anything to your interpretation or to your imagination, so he's going to tell you, if you want to please God, this is how you live. You live in the assurance of things hoped for. So I want to just live for a moment in the assurance what does it mean, assurance, Chris? What does assurance mean? Guar Ooh, I like that. Guaranteed. Assurance is guaranteed. So if you buy something and it comes with a guarantee and it breaks, what do you get to do? You get to return it and what? Get a new one or get your money back. And if someone doesn't, give you a new one or your money back, how do you feel? Ripped off. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> Guys, faith is a guarantee. It says faith is the guarantee. I love that. That's a great word. How about another word for assurance? Yeah, you're cheating right now. Confidence. You're absolutely confident. Faith is confident in whatever. Okay? That's assurance. Go ahead. What's your... Foundation, which I really like. What? Foundation. Foundation. So it's underneath the thing, giving it concrete support so that it can stand. Okay? Faith is the guarantee, the confidence, and the foundation of things hoped for. Where are things hoped for? Where are they currently? In your mind? Someone said in the future? In your heart? Guys, this is something that I think is revolutionary. The guarantee of incredible things doesn't exist in the natural yet. I just want that to settle in. Faith is a guarantee about things that don't exist yet in the natural. People who live by faith live absolutely convinced, confidently, like in a guarantee, I know this is going to happen, but it doesn't exist yet. I just want that to rest. Because that is not normal life for most of us. Most of us think, if I don't see it, I'm not sure it exists. But people who live by faith are actually more convinced of what doesn't exist yet than what does. And that's why those kinds of people see things happen in their lives that other people don't. Because they are absolutely, foundationally guaranteed to bring forth what they hope for. So this is incredible. Your hopes are the seed for an incredible life in the future. Faith is convinced that what you hope for is actually more real than what currently exists in your life. Faith is the guarantee that what you're hoping for 
can, should, and will exist. Our hope is so good and so real that we actually live by that versus what is around us. People who live by faith live by the hope on the inside of them. Whatever that is. And I think, you know, as many people as are in this room, there's that many different hopes. And all of you who are in this room right now have individual hopes on the inside of you. And the Bible says, my righteous one lives by those. By a, a, not just by those, by a faith in those. By a, an assurance that those things are good and should become a reality. The definition of faith is also the conviction of things not seen. What's conviction? We talked about assurance. Is conviction pretty much like a synonym for assurance? Fully convinced. Certainty. Like, you cannot be talked out of it. There are some things you're open to, you could change your mind about. But someone who lives by faith has this unbelievable conviction, certainty. This will happen. This is true. This is real. Those who live by faith do this. Actually, what is not seen. Do you guys see that? Conviction of things not seen. And some, some Bibles have not yet seen. I actually like putting that little word in there. Because not yet seen, what does that say? It's coming, baby. Oh, it's coming. And, you know, I cannot help but think about a pregnant lady. When, when Jocelyn was up here this morning talking about wombs, and every one of us has one, it's the truth. And I'm not talking like that weird stuff of men can have babies. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about on the inside of every single one of us is the ability to bring forth things that aren't yet. Every single one of us. Faith is how we access it. Faith is what the, the seed combining with the egg brings forth this beautiful new creation. It's by faith. So the definition of faith, again, is assurance of things hoped for. An absolute guaranteed belief that what you hope for will become a reality. Faith is also a certainty, an absolute fully convinced state that things that are not yet seen will be. Now, before I go any further, people who live, like I just said, this righteous one who lives by faith, you're weird. Like, I'm just going to tell you this right now. You are weird because you live convinced about things that aren't yet. And the more you live that way, the more you will talk that way. And the more you talk that way, the more people who don't live by faith listen to you and think, mm. like, what? Where do you live? Where is your head? And look, like you're the Noah of your current generation. Those who live by faith are Noah's. They're David's who set up tabernacles in the middle of fields and don't get killed for it. 
Yeah, they built ships, built boats. Talk about rain. But that had never been talked before until Noah showed up. People who live by faith are talking about and being fully convinced of things that don't exist yet. But one day, generations will live in their houses. I love this idea. I love this idea that we please God by living the same way he lives. He lives by faith. He spoke this world into existence, and who gets to live in this house now? All of us. We live in a house that once didn't exist. We live in someone's imagination that became a reality. That's pretty incredible. So, the, the, the dichotomy of this, back to the first or the last couple of verses of Hebrews chapter 10, is the idea that if you don't live by faith, then you shrink back, okay? So the idea of living by faith means, first of all, it's forward, because if the opposite is shrinking back, one of the things is you're not forward anymore, you're back. So living by faith is you're forward. You're constantly on this edge. You're constantly looking, thinking, leaning forward into what isn't yet. So... And then the other part is shrinking, which, which means living by faith means you're, you're expanding, you're increasing. The very idea that you're living by hope and by things that don't exist yet means that I have to get bigger so that these things can become a reality. Otherwise, I get smaller. The only way you can live not by faith is by getting smaller. Because as time progresses, responsibilities increase. So if you don't take on more responsibility, if you don't live by more, then you, the opposite is as time progresses, you get smaller. Because it's no longer you bringing things forth from the inside into the outside. It's now you just living by what already exists. And if the more people that live by what already exists, the less of you we need. Did you guys hear that? The more people that live by what already exists, the less of those people we need. And when you're needed less, you shrink. Mm. That's an indictment. When you're not dependent upon as much as you were just yesterday, you shrink. When you feel the, the weight of responsibility on your shoulders, you rise. It's how God created you. All right, so if we shrink back instead of live by faith, then the eyes of our heart close because the eyes of our heart, the only way you can see what you hope for, the only way you can see things that are not yet seen is Ephesians chapter one, the eyes of our hearts are open to see what is possible, to see the reality that's beyond the natural realm. But when we don't live by faith, which we just defined, the eyes of our heart close, and the only eyes we have left are the two little balls in our face. <laughs> Seriously, that's all we have left. These two little orbs of flesh, which are incredible, but that's all we have to see. If the eyes of our heart close because they're unnecessary, because the eyes of our heart are only open to see what is not yet. 
So for example, back to seeing with our eyes of our heart, we look at one another, and when I look at Becky with the eyes of my heart, I don't see hair, glasses, sweater. Hello? I see who God created this person to be. I see treasure, I see beauty, I see value, I see potential. I see what doesn't exist yet that needs to come forth from her, and I will treat her as such. But when those eyes close, and the natural eyes are the only thing left in which to evaluate her, then all I have, hair, glasses, sweater. That's all I have. And I begin to value you only based upon what I can naturally see. Hello? Okay. We only can live by our natural eyes. Now we can only live by what you show us. You guys with me so far? We're, we're differentiating between living by faith and not living by faith. The pattern that the Father lays on the inside of us, from, the, from back before you were even formed in your mother's womb, there were things God imagined for us, planned for us, thought about for us, saw us walking in, and he lays that pattern on the inside of us. And faith accesses it and says, I want to live by that. But when our eyes of our heart close and we don't live by faith, then we are no longer like overwhelmed by the vision God has for us. And so we no longer see that. The eyes of our hearts close, and then we, all we have left is what's around us. So what someone else is doing, what someone else is saying in the earth, is what attracts us or distracts us. Is actually what goes on. It's not just, at first it's an attraction, and then it becomes a distraction. Guys, hear me. When you stop living by the incredible hope of what's, what's yet to be from the inside of you, then all you have left to live from is what someone else is already doing. <clears throat> Hello? So lacking heavenly vision, because heavenly vision, in my opinion, is what God put on the inside of us. So if we lack heavenly vision, all we have left is what other people are already doing. Instead, we have to gain inspiration from what others are doing or what already exists in the earth. And what we end up doing is simply copying what someone else is already doing. That's basically what we live by. We live by somebody else's inspiration. Oh, Denver's doing that, and he's doing well, and it's working out really well for him and his family. How about I do it too? And you know what? You can copy well enough that you can have a life pretty similar to Denver. And you can have a life where hey, it's pretty good. Yeah, he's, he, he's, he's making it, he's doing it. His wife's not crying, his kids don't have bruises, he's doing okay. And you can do that too. And you can figure out a way to morph yourself into Denver's way of life. And it's a copy. Hello? Personally, I think most of our lives are built this way. Unfortunately. I think we live our lives not based upon faith, not based upon the pattern, the vision, the dreams, and the imagination that has been laid on the inside of us. Honestly, we just, we get lazy, 
and the eyes of our hearts close because someone else is just kicking butt over there. Why don't we just do something similar to what they're doing? And we, we create these false versions of who we really are. But man, we get pretty good at acting. I, I can act as well as anybody. And I can put on a front and act like this is really good. But at the end of the day, it's just a copy of something else that already existed. And God is just like, oh, my son, it's so much smaller than what I had planned for you. And I know the fulfillment that was destined for you. I know the joy and the, uh, the challenges that would, if you worked through those challenges, would bring incredible fulfillment. I know what's available to you, and instead you want to live by a copy of this. Like, you could not stand being weird for a season. You couldn't stand the ridicule of those who had made life's lives out of copying. When did it become cool to copy? Seriously. And when did the weird ones become weird? Like, I'm even using that term. The reality is they're the cool ones. The Bible just said in Hebrews chapter 10 and in Habakkuk that my soul takes pleasure in them who live not by the things yet seen. Hello? Yeah. Mm. So we end up simply copying what we see someone else already manifesting. And because they're manifesting it and it's working out well for them and God is blessing it, it's got to work for us. I was going to bring the board up here, but hopefully you can just kind of picture this in your mind. So, we go from faith, which is I live by the assurance of things hoped for. Like, I am so convinced that my hopes have been given to me by God that I will live by them. And then I step out in that hope and I fail. Anybody? Or it doesn't work out on the very first try. And maybe some of you have some gumption and you're like, you know what, I'm trying again. And I take another step and it fails again. After one or two tries, I will be honest with you, most human beings say, this ain't working. And so we go back. What's that? What's the opposite of faith? Shrinking back. So we shrink back and we close our eyes because hope doesn't work. We tried it. I took two steps in hope, didn't work. So I'm shrinking back. I, the eyes of my heart closed because hope sucks. And so now I'm going to look around with my natural eyes. And I'm going to see what's already working for somebody else. And then I'm going to come over here. And I've got to stay small because the only way somebody else's hopes work for me is if I stay small. So I'll come over here and I'll work through somebody else's hope, hoping that it'll work well for me. So I go from faith, failure, lack of faith, shrink back, and then I start looking around. And I look for a really good, hey, someone's really kicking butt over here or someone's really happy over here, and I begin to copy it. And from copy, as soon as you start copying someone else, this is where comparison sets in. If anyone deals with comparison, you are not living by faith because you're already at step three of lack of faith, which is you're copying. As soon as you copy, you compare. When you're living by faith, the last thing you think about is comparison 
Because you realize that you're living by the hope God put on the inside of you. To compare your hope to somebody else's hope, it doesn't even enter into your brain. In fact, someone living by faith and living by the hope on the inside of them is actually hoping that their hope inspires theirs. Never comparison. So, if anyone struggles with comparison, looking around, seeing what other people have, seeing what other people are doing, and the thought to yourself is, they're doing better than me, I should do that, you're already out of faith, and you're actually past copy. You're past the copy phase, and you're in the comparison. Go ahead. Yeah. At somebody else who's doing really well. Right. He called it imposter syndrome. And it's true. A lot of us have it. And imposter syndrome really kicks in in like step two or three of walking out your hope. And it's not working out or it's hard. Guys, I want to tell you something. Walking out what you were originally created to do is not easy. Because you are having to shed so many things that the world taught you is successful. The kingdom of God is successful in a completely different way than the kingdoms of this world. And what part of the, in my opinion, the part of these steps that lead toward true fulfillment is shedding everything that's false fulfillment. But we try to do worldly success kingdom way. Are you with me? Did I make sense on that? We try to do kingdom things according to the world's pattern. Let me put it that way. And at first, you will fail. But that's the point. The point is, fail by the world's ways so that you learn his. Part of this incredible process of unlearning and becoming a son and daughter of God is unlearning everything that you thought was right and then relearning your father's ways. And part of that is in that failing process. So can I just say all to you now, I don't care what age you are, start. Start living by your hope. Fail and fail miserably. Let trumpets sound your failure. I mean this, fail big. Because the bigger you fail, the more it'll motivate you, I won't fail again. But if you fail small when no one else is looking, not a big deal. I'll just keep failing. No one else is hurt but me. No, fail big. Fall on your face, smash your nose, get two black eyes, and then walk back in front of everybody. No, I mean this with all sincerity. Because when you do that, you're like looking at everybody with two black eyes and a big fat nose. I don't want to do this again. What caused me to fall on my face? And let's walk a different way. All right, so let's go back to this. So faith and then lack of faith because we shrink back. Then we begin to copy what other good guys are doing. Then we start comparing ourselves one to another. What's the next phase after comparison? It's envy. Now I start being jealous of what other people have and I don't. Why are they doing so well and I'm not? I'm doing exactly what they're doing. Hello? Has anybody been there? I am doing exactly what they're doing and they've got the cool car and they've got the big house or they've got the cool wife or whatever it is. Why don't I? And you begin to want what someone else has. And when that takes place, then the next phase is frustration. Well, you just get really upset. You get angry. Like, frustration's a really nice word for angry. Hello? 
We've all been there. Some of us might be there right now. You are frustrated. I'm not saying this is for everybody, but I'm saying it's for most of us. Your frustration goes all the way back to when you stopped living by faith. Your frustration is because other people have what you think you should have. And other people have what you think you should have is because you've been copying what they're doing and you're not getting the same result. And you're not getting the same result because you're not supposed to. You are not supposed to get my result and I'm not supposed to get your result. I'm supposed to get the result God put on the inside of me. But he put the result to me. Remember what Ben said? He doesn't give us chairs. What do you say? Chairs and tables? He gives us what? Trees. What's on the inside of you is a seed and it needs your faith to become what God originally wanted it to be. The frustration is you try to make something that was never on the inside of you in seed form. Faith calls upon the seed that God put on the inside of you and it brings that forth. There is where your fulfillment lies. True fulfillment. And the joy and the peace and the satisfaction of being a child of God is in that seed bringing forth a harvest in your life. But it starts with faith. And the last one, I know, I know most of us are not here, but I need you to know this. Lack of faith leads to copying, leads to comparison, leads to envy, leads to frustration and anger. And the next one is crime. Literally crime. You begin to lie. You begin to steal. You begin to cheat. I know we don't think about this very often because most of us are law-abiding citizens, but I can tell you, when we stop living by faith, the end of the line is criminal activity. And we don't talk about this enough in church because we just think everyone's not doing criminal activity. No, there's a lot of us that didn't get caught yet. Ooh. Hello? There are a lot of criminals that are more honest than people like us. Why did you steal? Someone had what I wanted. Envy is just the spirit form of crime. Remember what Jesus said? It's not good enough anymore for you to just not sleep with another woman if you even look on another woman or a man. Thank you. Then it's already adultery. If you look at someone else's hot car or successful business or whatever it is and think it should be yours, you've already stolen it. Hello? That's yeah, the same thing. If you hate somebody in your heart, that is the end of the road. But it all starts with you not being assured and convicted that the dream and vision and imagination that God put on the inside of you you, at some point in time, you made a decision that can't happen. That's too hard. It's going to take too much sacrifice. It's going to take too much investment. I'm going to feel too much responsibility. And that's a big one right there. I just want to stop right there and say, most of us shun responsibility. We don't like it. It feels trap. It feels like a trap. It feels like slavery. It feels like a prison. <laughs> I can tell you, responsibility is one of the most beautiful things a human being will ever carry. And responsibility simply means this. I want to get this right, because it feels so good to me to say the word. Responsibility is, I have to show up. And 
if I don't show up, it won't work. If I don't be everything God created me, me to be, someone or something will fall. We hate that feeling. How many people like the feeling, if I'm not there doing my best, being all in, it's going to fail? How many people like it? You should. Thank you, Wes. You should like it. You should feel that and say, people need me. Because that need, that someone else is depending upon you, calls forth what's on the inside of you to come up to the surface. You need that. You were created for that. Jesus was hanging on the cross, and the only thing that kept him there was the hope set before him. That hope came from all of our need. Every single one of us needed God on the cross. And he knew that, and he knew that need was connected to hope set before him. Oh, do you feel that? I feel that right now. I feel the anointing of the Lord that your need is connected to the hope inside of you. Mm, Jesus. Okay. So, Jesus tells us, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Okay. There are things that don't exist yet on the earth that need to, and they're heavenly. Heavenly. Don't think of heaven as above, right? I, I hope we've been in this group and in this family and in this culture long enough that we don't think of heaven as up here and the earth down here. Heaven is actually within every single human being. I actually believe that. On the inside of every single human being, and it's locked up by faith. And it's released by faith. And when we live by faith, we release these Aspects of heaven locked up on the inside of us that need to be released into the earth. And when we release them by faith into the earth, heaven comes to earth. See, I even did it. See that? I did that. Actually, heaven comes to earth by faith. Heaven does not come to earth by recreating what we already got. Hello? Like, I think there's a period of time in our lives where we should all give our hearts, our energy, our resources to someone manifesting heaven on earth. I think there's a period of time. That's not copying. I actually don't believe that's copying at all. I believe that is learning how to manifest. I believe it's learning how to live by hope. Live by the assurance of things hoped for. I need to spend time with people who are living by faith. Best way to spend time with them is to help their faith bring forth their hopes and what they're convicted of. Is anybody in that right now? Is anybody working alongside someone who is bringing forth their hope inside of them? Like you feel it, you know it. Okay, we got a few. All right, that's how we learn to do the same for ourselves. At some point in time, every single one of us need to spend a period of time working with or even under someone who's making sure that what's on the inside of them becomes a reality. So Mark, what does that look like practically? Someone who's taken big risks. Someone who has decided that everything they have isn't good enough. There's more. Not more for them to have, but more that's possible. 
There are a bunch of greedy people out there who think that they just need to have more. Those are not the people you give your life to. You give your life to the people who think there's more possible. There's more potential. There's more incredible things that are on the inside of me that if they come forth into the earth, we're going to have big houses for people to live in. I don't mean physical houses. I hope you know that, right? I'm talking spiritually. Give your heart to people like that. Give your time to people like that. And it will bring forth in you the hope. And you'll, this is one of the beauties of us serving one another, like we've been hearing for the last couple of weeks. When we serve one another, especially those who are already living by their own hope on the inside of them, it'll start to convince you that the hope inside of you is worth living by. That the things not yet seen on the inside of you are worth being seen. Because you are living with someone else who's making sure that what's on the inside of them is coming forth. Hello? We need more bold, unique, creative sons and daughters who are like, I'm going to say weird because I think, it's, I think it's the only word I can think of right now. Like weird simply means no one else is doing that. Why are you doing something nobody else is doing? And the answer first should be, because no one else is doing it. And secondly, because it's inside of me. Like, I don't know how else to live. I don't know what else to do. This hope, these unseen things on the inside of me have got to be born. Talk to any woman who's had a baby in their womb more than nine months. They are so uncomfortable. And if you poke them, Hello, is anybody, am I talking to them right? They're like, just get around someone who's been pregnant longer than they should be. Don't touch me! Especially the one who made them that way. You need to bring that thing forth. Like, that's the kind of sons and daughters we need in the earth. We need, like, you feel this pregnancy. You feel this labor. You feel this urgency that what's on the inside of you was never meant to stay there. It's like a farmer sowing seed and then just thinking to himself, that's nah, a nice field. No, every time a farmer sows a seed, he is watching his field and it better bring, that field better look different in four months than it looks today. And you have a father watching over you and brooding over you the same way. He is brooding and he's constantly speaking light and he's constantly speaking to those seeds on the inside of you saying, I'm bringing it forth, I'm bringing it forth, I'm bringing it forth. He's there and he's brooding and he's speaking light and he's bringing forth things that didn't exist before and they're in you. I hope I did. Yeah, living by faith isn't hanging on isn't figuring out a way to survive and then taking vacation once or twice a year. Like, that's not living by faith. I personally feel like living by faith looks so radically different that everyone around you is wondering, number one, why you're living that way, and number two, maybe I could live that way. Not in the exact same way, but by faith. People who live by faith don't encourage other people to do exactly what they're doing. People who live by faith encourage other people to live by faith. I don't want other people to do exactly what I'm doing. I know that would lead to frustration. 
I don't want you frustrated. Can I tell you, there's enough frustration in living by faith. There is. There's times where you're just like, oh, man. Most of the time, the frustration is realizing that you're doing so many things differently than the Father created you to do them. You've got these patterns and these ways of life that you learn from some other source other than the Father. While you're on the path of living by faith, it's beautiful. I love it because I'm unlearning things I should have never known. My hope for you, like if I, if I want to tell you what I'm passionate about right now as I think about this message, I'm passionate about you remembering these ideas and these hopes and these dreams that are on the inside of you. And it is never too late to start living by faith. It is never too late. I think I read, I, I was reading an article one time, and it wasn't that long ago, that do you know what the most productive years of a human life are? Then I know what years are the most productive years of a human life. You ever hear what Lisa just said? It's after 60 years old. When people, you can go do, go do the research. It's statistically shown that after 60 years old, human beings are being the most productive. The most inventions, go look back. It's not by 20-year-olds. Most of the inventions are by old people. Older. Older people. I'm starting to talk about myself now. <laughs> there are people that decided that the hope on the inside of them didn't stop at 59 years old. There are, and I, I think in 2024, because we're about to be there, there's this growing sentiment that by that age, I should be set. And if I'm set, I don't have to continue investing, continue sacrificing, continue taking risks. Oh my goodness, no. I don't think you ever run out of the seed that's on the inside of you. I don't think you ever run out of it. There's always more in there. You guys remember when Elijah died, Elisha died? And they put him in a grave. And then someone who was digging the grave fell in onto his bones. Remember what happened to that person? Nobody remembers this? So a guy dies, right? And they put him in the same grave as Elisha. Anybody remember this? Came back to life as soon as they fell on Elisha's bones. So even if you die, I'm, I'm willing to bet that all of us die with some seeds left in us. And that's why continually turning to the next generation and speaking life and making sure they come up. It's us also giving away some of our seed into the next generation. But you're always dying with seed on the inside of you. There's always going to be there. 62 and a half, the seed doesn't run out. When the Social Security checks start coming, that doesn't mean the seed stops. Hello? Well, I know I'm preaching to somebody right now. You can Still, start today living by the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. But some of us have become so accustomed to the surroundings, what currently already exists all around us, and we've become convinced that this is all we ever will ever have or ever will need. 
And those are not the people that bring forth the kingdom of God on earth. They're not the ones that bring heaven on earth. Y'all okay? Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chris just said about the copying thing, be imitators of Christ. There's two different times where it says be imitators of me, but right after that, Paul says, as I imitate Christ. Yeah. So, Father, I just want to pause right now. And I, like, let's have a Genesis chapter one moment. Where the Spirit of the Lord is hovering, brooding. I love that word, brooding. Thinking, planning, imagining. And he's looking around your life. And he's saying to himself, there is so much more. There's, there's so much more for you, for your life. So light to your hope. Light to your hope to the dream and the vision on the inside of you. The, the swarming and swirling uh, stuff that, are, that is kind of rolling and all around your life of your disappointments and your failures and the mundane and the routine and the, the lists and the chores that are kind of swirling around your life right now, they're trying to convince you that what is still possible from inside of you, there's no way you can do that. There's no way those things are possible. But you have a spirit hovering over you who says light. And when God was done six days later, the earth looked so radically different than what he was brooding over that he said, it is good. I pray over your faith today. I speak life to it. Your assurance of things hoped for. Your conviction, certainty of things not yet seen. You have what it takes. You are more. You are bigger than you currently see yourself as. You, in your current state right now on this date, are a seed form of who you will be, no matter your age. I speak over the seed that is you. Come forth. Produce a harvest. Take steps from your hope. 
It says live by faith, live from faith of those things. So faith is assurance of what's inside of you is worth living from. Live from there. Don't live from the demands of this world. Don't live by the swirling winds of influence of this world. Don't live by your Instagram or Facebook. Live by the hope inside of you, laid there by the Father of all creation. Live from there. Yes, you will be strange. You will be misunderstood You might even be ridiculed and mocked even by people you love. Stay the course of your faith. Do not give up early. Don't give up late. Keep moving forward in your faith. I bless you to believe that the hope inside of you was given to you by God. And if it was given to you by God, it was meant to be lived by. Live by this faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, love you all. Have a good week. Bible study Wednesday night. World Harvest Outreach is located in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania but we have family around the world. To connect with us, visit us at whocenterpa.com.